0: Hello there, and welcome back to the Diabetes Diary Podcast. My name is Stephanie, your host, and in today's episode, I have some very exciting news to share with all of you. In this episode, I'm going to share my experience using my first ever insulin pump, pros and cons of the system, and I'm going to answer some popular questions that I received on my Instagram throughout the process. Additionally, and maybe most importantly, I am so excited to share with all of you for the first time publicly the real reason that I have decided to go back on MDI. I am truly over the moon to share this update with you guys, even though it has honestly taken me some courage to get to this point. I have shared every part of my journey with type 1 diabetes with all of you thus far, and I've decided I want to share this intimate update as well. So I'm going to circle back to that a little bit later in today's episode, but hang in there. I promise it's worth the wait. First, let me preface by saying that in today's episode, I'm going to reflect on my personal experiences and my opinions around the Omnipod 5 system. I clearly do not speak on behalf of all Omnipod users or the insulate company. I am simply recording this episode to share my personal experience with you. And should you have any questions regarding subjects that I touch on today and want more information, please feel free to connect with me on Instagram at the.diabetesdiary or by email at thediabetesdiaryinquiries at gmail.com. Well, my friends, there is so much to wrap in this episode let's dive in. Okay. First, if you haven't already listened to my previous podcast episode around my onboarding experience with Omnipod and why I chose Omnipod for my first ever insulin pump, I encourage you to do so. That way you have a bit more context, but for the purpose of today's episode and time, I will highlight some key points as to why I decided on Omnipod for my first insulin pump. Now, after a year and nine months on MDI, including a strenuous pregnancy and postpartum experience, I decided I wanted to try an insulin pump. Features of Omnipod 5 that influenced me to choose this system included the tubeless opportunity, especially with life with a toddler, (laughs) the freedom from MDI, and the ease of activity mode. Also, I really liked the convenience of a controller that is similar in size to an iPhone. Now, after four months on Omnipod 5, I met with my endo to review my lab work. It's important to note that the month before I started Omnipod 5, my A1C was 6.4. Now, it was clear that MDI was working well for me in regards to my control. However, I was really seeking technology that would help It consumed less brain space and manpower, too. I mean, as a new mom, I wanted an insulin pump that was going to make my life easier, you know, not bring more headache and additional stress. So when I first started on Omnipod 5, I was overwhelmed. I quickly learned that it takes patience and a lot of it to adjust to life with new diabetes tech, such as a new insulin pump. Now, like many other times in my type 1 diabetes journey, when I was feeling overwhelmed, I turned to the online diabetes community for guidance. I honestly was very relieved to learn that many other people also experienced challenging adjustments after onboarding with Omnipod 5. So it was nice to know that I wasn't alone in this frustration but i learned that a lot of people didn't love the automated mode which was similar to how i was feeling now let me note that the omnipod 5 system is very conservative and this was news to me after i had made the switch in theory it's good that the system was created to avoid low blood sugars and i understand the intent however I mean, simply put, the system is just flawed. Like, it has a tendency to have people run a little bit higher, even if, say, like my target glucose was set to the lowest setting you could set it at, which was 100. And almost every day, I was waking up between 130 and 140. Now, with MDI, I was waking up between 80s and 90s. And that's honestly where I like my fasting levels to be. So the waking up between 130 and 140 just really wasn't working for me. And after six weeks of trying automated mode with no success, I once again decided to turn to the online diabetes community. And this time I was seeking advice about where to go from there. I remember I received a surprising number of messages telling me how the manual mode was much better and preferred than the automated mode. So I decided to give manual manual mode a try. Now, I'll be transparent and share that I probably could have gone about this transition in a better way if I had outsourced additional support. However, me being the hardhead that I can be, (laughs) wanted to figure it out myself. And I mean, after all, I feel like that seems to be the best way that I learn sometimes, (laughs) but it did take me a little bit longer to figure out my correct ratios, including basal and ICR. Now, had I reached out to my trainer or endocrinologist, I may have figured out these ratios sooner, which would have impacted my A1c, but I didn't, and here I am. However, somewhere in my last two and a half months on Omnipod, I just lost control of my diabetes. I found myself coasting much higher throughout the day, like 150, 160, and as a result, I was getting mentally bogged down to array of variables. I mean, to be honest, I I was noticing that it was becoming more work than MDI was, and I found myself feeling some burnout from the consistent sight changes every three days. I felt like I would blink and it was time to change it again. And sometimes I would be out doing something of another, maybe going out to eat or running errands. And then it would be, oh, my pod died again. And it just became an inconvenience. I mean, I also was exhausted from faulty pods that were... Making me waste a lot of insulin or doing the obnoxious beeping noise. If you've used Omnipod, you know what I'm talking about. But additionally, one kicker was the continuous recalls on my Omnipod controller. It drove me nuts, okay? And the four months I used Omnipod 5, I was given three different controllers. The first one was recalled within two weeks of onboarding due to a fire hazard with the charging connection. So then I got another one. And then the second one was recalled due to what I believe was a connectivity issue, like between the controller and the pods, which I did notice quite a bit that I would go to bolus and it would say, connectivity issue, try again. And then if it still didn't work, it would prompt me to change my pod, And it was just so annoying because I found myself, you know, sometimes being like, screw it, I'm still going to eat or I'm doing this, I'm doing that and get caught up in something else. And I just wouldn't end up bolusing for the food that I originally had good intentions of doing so, but it was having connectivity issues and it was so frustrating. But by the time the third one arrived I shortly thereafter parted ways with Omnipod. And in July 2023, just four months after starting with Omnipod 5, I met with my endocrinologist for a regular follow-up. And at this appointment, we reviewed my labs, including my Hashimoto's and my diabetes. I was shocked and disappointed to learn that I had received the worst A1C results since my diagnosis. And it honestly hit me really hard. Like I felt like I had let myself down. I felt like a failure because I knew what I was capable of. And after maintaining an A1C in the fives, the entire duration of my pregnancy on MDI, I knew I was more than capable of controlling my diabetes. The technology that I thought was going to help me just, I mean, simply wasn't. And so many thoughts overwhelm me, like, what didn't I do right? What could I have done better? You know, other people love their diabetes control with an insulin pump. Why am I not having the same experience? And it really stressed me out. And honestly, not to be dramatic, but I did cry. I did. By the time you get to the end of this episode, it will come full circle and you'll understand why this experience really affected me emotionally. Now, when I learned that my A1C was going to keep me from my goals, I was sad. I was, I was devastated and I spoke to my endo about my options and let me say he was truly so supportive and this experience made me so appreciative of the endocrinologist that I have. And I highly encourage you if you do not have an endo that you can just genuinely be your transparent self with and share your struggles and feel like you're actually supported I highly encourage you to seek a new endocrinologist because this truly makes the world of difference when it comes to your healthcare. It absolutely does. And so my endo was nothing short of supportive. He was so great. He offered to connect me with Omnipod representatives who could help me learn the system better. He offered to help me fine tune my ratios if I wanted to continue with Omnipod and he also offered to, you know, change my prescriptions if I wanted to try a different insulin pump or return to multiple daily injections, which brings me to my next point in this episode and maybe the most significant, ah, the real reason why I decided to go back on MDI. Oh my gosh. Okay. My friends, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Oh my gosh. Okay. I knew that I was more than capable of having great control with MDI. And when we discussed the various reasons why Omnipod may not have worked for me, my endo brought to my attention an important point that I had previously overlooked, and that was the support of Traceba. Okay? Stay with me. Stay with me. It's coming. (laughs) So... First, this may be obvious to some of you, but when you transition from multiple daily injections to an insulin pump, oftentimes you do away with basal insulin. And in my case, the Omnipod was giving me microdoses of bolus insulin, Humalog is what I use, to manage my diabetes in between mealtimes, you know, as when it was giving me the microdoses and while I was sleeping. So I was no longer using Traceeba. Now, my endo mentioned how Traceeba just does better for some people than others. And after reviewing my Dexcom data, we quickly learned that I was likely one of them. Traceba had a way of controlling my diabetes, unlike Humalog alone. And my endo said by the looks of it, Traceeba was clearly favored by my physiology. So, when I learned that my A1C was 7.4 at this appointment, I was heartbroken. Simply put, disappointed. Now, I understand you may be thinking that's dramatic because for many people, that would be a great A1C. And for some, that may even be their goal. However, an A1C of 7.4 wasn't putting me any closer to my goals. That being said, drumroll, my friends, I have a very exciting update to share with all of you. It's taken me a bit to work up the courage to share this information because it's so intimate and personal. And sometimes not sharing that much information is often better, you know, like less is more. But I've realized that I've shared every other aspect of my type 1 diabetes journey with all of you. So why should this be any different? Ah! Okay, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. I decided to return to multiple daily injections because I know how tight my control can be and how desperately I need that control to achieve my goals this year as my husband and I are preparing for pregnancy oh my god i literally can't believe i just said it like oh my gosh we honestly have not told anyone so the fact that i'm putting this out on a podcast before we tell family and friends is so crazy to me oh my god we are so 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 excited to grow our little family and we know that we want our babies to be close in age, and in this season of a career break for me to invest in my family, we feel this is the perfect time to add a little babe to our family. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Wyatt is over one now, and if we plan it right, baby number two will be here shortly after Wyatt turns two. As with everything in life, type 1 diabetes requires a lot more planning. And that is surely no different when it comes to family planning. So I am so excited, you guys. My heart could burst. Oh my gosh, this is such a special time for me and my family. And I am overjoyed to take you all along on this journey with me. There's going to be many things that I do differently this time, starting with my healthcare team. Let me preface by saying my endo is not going anywhere. I love him, but... I am going a different route this time. I am going to be more particular when it comes to my OBGYN. I want to experience a midwife. I also am being more picky in regards to my maternal fetal medicine team. And I am going to get more out of this pregnancy because of what I learned in my first pregnancy. So I am just so, so excited to share this with you guys. And I hope that you'll stay connected and follow along in the coming months. I'm sure I'll be sharing more information on my Instagram. Again, that's at diary. So please, please connect. Let's keep in touch. I'm so, so excited, guys. Oh my gosh. <gasps> Oh, it feels so good to finally say that out loud. (laughs) Okay. With intentions of trying to conceive in the next three to six months, it's extremely important that I lower my A1C. And I have resorted back to pretty much the basics for this and started incorporating a lot of what I did when I was preparing for my first pregnancy. And in just two weeks back on MDI, I've increased my time and range by over 20%. Okay. So, oh my gosh, it's clear that my extra attention and efforts, et cetera, are really paying off. And for those of you who may be trying to lower your A1C, I wanted to share the top five factors that are helping me tremendously. Number one, Yep, you guessed it, carb counting. I know it can be a pain in the ass, but it is so helpful versus blindly bolusing or guessing all the time. And then you end up chasing, you know, those high blood sugars afterwards or fixing lows. So carb counting allows me to be more precise and articulate when it comes to bolusing. The second is a 20-minute pre bolus Now, okay, this can be so hard for some people, me included, but with the motivation like receiving the green light for pregnancy, it has gotten a bit easier to adjust to. Honestly, it's doable and it makes a tremendous difference in my diabetes control. Third is not letting myself overindulge in the pantry when I'm low. Now, I have found success in limiting myself to just a juice box that's like 16 grams of carbs or the go-go squeeze applesauce packets, which are either 15 or 17 grams of carbs. But it makes it easier to limit my intake when I have like one single helping, you know, versus opening a box of candy and okay, I'll only take two handfuls, you know, and then I find myself like aimlessly eating after I've already had enough to elevate my blood sugar. So limiting my intake for low snacks has been very helpful. The fourth factor is eating dinner earlier. Now, this is such a big one that I feel like is often overlooked. Now, I'm eating... I would say before 7pm and before I was intentional about this, I would eat sometimes like as late as 8.30 or even nine on like a busy day, which would obviously impact my blood sugars throughout the night. So by eating dinner before 7pm, I'm noticing my blood sugars have more time to regulate and all before I go to bed and then hopefully avoid, you know, getting stuck with highs all night the fifth and last factor that i'm going to share in this episode is incorporating some light walking into my daily routine now for some this is easier than others i'm aware but me being a stay-at-home mom to be honest it's not always easy to just load up my toddler in the stroller and go for a walk i mean sometimes he's crabby maybe from teething or a development leap sometimes He'd just rather run around and burn off energy. He doesn't want to be trapped in his stroller. And sometimes, I mean, I just get caught up in my to-do list of mom life that, you know, between having a toddler, being a grad student, being a homeowner, yada, yada, like it doesn't always happen. But I kid you not, I see a significant difference in my diabetes control on the days that I move and the days that I don't. So we have tried to make it a very regular thing to walk two miles most days, but taking the same route around our neighborhood, you know, multiple times. And I prefer to do it in the morning if possible before I have any insulin on board to avoid any lows, but it's been great so far. And I encourage you to incorporate it in your routine if you're looking to lower your A1C. It has been such a journey in the last two plus years of type 1 diabetes, and I am so thankful for our type 1 diabetes community along the way. I truly do not know where I would be if it wasn't for all of you and your wisdom in times of change and in times of challenge. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I am so blessed that you are here. If you aren't already, you can follow me on Instagram and follow my journey of trying to conceive for baby number two. My Instagram page is at the.diabetesdiary. I look forward to connecting with you there. Thanks so much for listening to another episode on the Diabetes Diary podcast. Stay tuned, my friends.